John, thank you very much. Shall we continue in prayer as we come to uh, look at God's word together? The vision uh, that Isaiah had for God's people right at the, uh, the end in the heavenly city is that all God's sons will be taught by the Lord. And uh, Lord, that's our prayer this evening, that we would be taught of you. Show us wonderful things out of your word, we pray. Uh, and may we uh, go away refreshed, renewed, and uh, uh, re-energised to serve you again. Uh, for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, happy Easter to you. It's great to uh, be with you. Let me have my own welcome. Uh, we're going to be looking at that uh, chapter that we had earlier, Isaiah chapter 54, which is on page uh, 741 if you've uh, got a Bible. You might want to open it. It would be very helpful. Uh, it's a bit difficult to do in Norfolk, uh, but one of my great joys is hill walking. I like uh, walking up hills and uh, you know, I enjoy the challenge of getting up to the top of a of uh, a steep, steep uh, summit, uh, and then savouring the view right from the top of, uh, of, of that hill. That's something I enjoy a lot. It's, uh, it's difficult to do in Norfolk, because there's uh, not that many hills. But when I get the chance, it's great things to do. And yet sometimes, I think, um, it's easy to forget that after you've got to the summit of something, there's still more views to come. Remember when I've been uh, climbing the Lake District, you know, you've got to the top of a great peak, and you think, wow, can it get any better than this? you go down the other side and you realise that there's just as good a view uh, on the uh, other side on the descent, uh, if only you were going to look out for it. And I wonder if tonight we're slightly in that sort of situation with Isaiah. Uh, those of you who've been, uh, who've been uh, joining with us over the last uh, few weeks uh, will know that we have been looking through it. We've been scrambling up the side of Isaiah, if you want to use that, uh, that image. Uh, it's been hard work at times. Uh, but we've, been, uh, we've got there. We've got to the summit, I guess, as most people would put it, of Isaiah, chapter 53. And maybe you're a bit like me, and you're sort of thinking, do you know, is there anything else to see? We've, we've got to 53. That's the bit we all know. Why don't we just leave it and be done? And actually, as we start to come down the other side, there's, there's lots uh, to be seen. And the passage that we have this evening starts to unpack a little bit more of what we heard last week in chapter 53. Uh, Chapter 53 is uh, one of the most famous passages in the scriptures. Uh, Isaiah gives this picture of the suffering servant, uh, this figure who we know to be the Lord Jesus, who comes and suffers and dies in the place of his people uh, to, to bring salvation. And in chapter 54, Isaiah starts to unpick what that might look like. Uh, he uses three, uh, p- three pictures, and we're going to have a look at each one in turn over the next uh, few minutes. Uh, the first picture is the picture of a family that grows. Look with me at uh, verse 1 of uh, chapter 54. Isaiah says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never to labour. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband says the Lord. A shame-filled, silent trial, isolating couples in closed bedrooms of pain. That was what somebody said about their experience of infertility, of uh, being unable to to have a child. Uh, I guess there there are a few things, apart from death in our culture, that we are very, very uncomfortable about talking about I think infertility is probably one of them. 
There, there are lots of things uh, that we face in our world uh, that there are easy answers to, um, or quick fixes, if you like. Uh, and yet that's not the case for infertility. It's a long, lengthy process for people, often full of uncertainty and difficulty. Very, very painful. Uh, and it's something that I think as a culture we're very uh, uneasy about addressing. And if, that was true for our cult- if that's true for our culture, then that is certainly true uh, for the culture of Isaiah's day. Um, infertility uh, was a major social stigma. Um, a Jewish man could divorce his wife for failing to conceive uh, a child. Uh, it's a cu- culture that prized the right to establish a bloodline almost above uh, many other things, almost everything else. Uh, and to be unable to do so was something that was deeply, deeply shaming. And it's shocking, therefore, that the first picture that God uses of his people through Isaiah is, he, is that of like an infertile woman, verse 1. Uh, the situation is that God's people are exiled in uh, Babylon, They're small in numbers, they're disgraced, they're unsure of what the future holds. And in the midst of such disgrace, Isaiah promises that through the work of the suffering servant, many, many years in the future, God's people's mourning is going to turn to joy, and their barrenness will turn to fruitfulness. He says, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband says the Lord. God is going to bless his people with such an expansion of numbers that they don't even have enough tents to hold them. They're going to, uh, verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strength, uh, strengthen your stakes, you'll spread out to the right and to the left. Insignificant Israel will be transformed into a people who blossom and flourish, overflowing into all the world. This promise isn't a new one. Uh, right back in uh, Genesis chapter 15, almost at the very start of the Bible, then again in uh, chapter 22, uh, the Bible presents Abraham, the great father of uh, God's people, Israel, being promised by God that he would be the head of a great family of many, many nations. doesn't really explain how it's going to happen at that point. But that Isaiah links that promise all those years before to Abraham with the work of the suffering servant, chapter 53, and so on. It is hugely significant because it's through Jesus that God's promise to Abraham is ultimately fulfilled. Uh, and it's through Jesus whom God's people will grow because it's through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that God has made it possible for all who believe in him to come and be part of his family from all corners of the earth to be saved uh, and to, uh, to become part of the family of God. Uh, no longer is membership of the family, God, family of God based on your ethnicity, where you were born, who your parents were. Uh, it is part of, uh, it, it comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death and his resurrection. Uh, well, my wife Claire is related to the uh, Bulmer family, who uh, you're probably famous for cider, some of you are drunk. We don't get free cider, unfortunately, so it doesn't have uh, all that many benefits nowadays, sadly. 
But 100, uh, they were founded 125 years ago, the company, and it was a couple of years ago, I think, was it maybe about that, 18 months or so, maybe a bit longer. Uh, we were invited to um, a celebratory dinner down in London to, to kind of celebrate the, the, the founding of the company. Uh, it, was, it was great fun, it was all good to go down. But at the centre of the um, dinner was a great family tree showing how the family had sort of started and it's had its origins and how it had expanded over the years and how sort of, you know, different sections of the family had married into certain uh, other families uh, and how it had kept growing. Uh, we were quite uh, pleased to see that they had taken into account that we'd got married. It was uh, only been, been about three or four months before. And there was something quite special about just seeing how this family had grown through the, through the years. Uh, very, very visual uh, and really exciting and seeing how that works. And I wonder, in a way, it's a bit of a picture of what God's family is like. Uh, the family of God has grown from very, very small beginnings into a worldwide family that encompasses many, many people of different backgrounds, of different, uh, different situations, into worldwide people. Alan and I were just saying, when we were uh, talking about when we had felt uh, perhaps most part of the family of God, for Alan, he said uh, it, it was often when we were travelling, and you see that you're part of this great big family. You don't necessarily have anything... Uh, on the surface in common with them. But all the same, you're part of the family of God through that shared uh, faith in the work of the Lord Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And God longs for all of us to know him, to love him, and to be part of his family. He's made a way for that to happen through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that we celebrate at Easter. Whoever you are, wherever you're from uh, this evening, God calls you to be part of his family. Are you on his family tree, if we want to use that illustration? If God has a family tree, are you part of it? Would your name be there? Is there somebody that you could invite to come and be part of it? The family of God is growing. It's always growing. Uh, and uh, he invites us to come and be part of it. So that's the first picture, the, uh, the family that's, uh, that grows. Uh, the second picture is that of the marriage that lasts. Uh, look with me at uh, verse 4. Uh, if you will. Isaiah writes, Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He's called the God of all the earth. Uh, If infertility was considered shaming in uh, Isaiah's day, to be divorced was arguably even worse. Uh, A woman who'd been unfaithful to her husband, or deemed unfaithful at least, uh, and rejected by him was, I suppose, one of society's outcasts, as as dreadful as it seems to consider. Uh, She was, in, I guess, a horrible way of putting it, damaged goods in the eyes of society. Uh, we live in a society where, I guess, divorce maybe still carries a certain stigma in some circles, but largely it's, it's lost that. It's, it's, it's much more common th- than it was. Uh, and I suppose it's very hard for us, actually, to grasp the power of Isaiah's second picture. Um, he, he says that God's people are not only barren, but also as being deserted and rejected. They're, they're like an unfaithful spouse. They've neglected their primary relationship uh, they've sought satisfaction in other partners. We might also say, almost say that they've committed spiritual adultery, basically. And because of that, they deserve abandonment, to be cast out away from God's presence. 
And yeah, although that might be the response that most spurned husbands would give, it might be a response they deserve, that's not the response of God. Verse 7, God says this, For a brief moment I abandoned you, but of deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. True, God's people's unfaithfulness had led to him being angry with them, right, rightly angry for their inability to stay faithful to him. Uh, for a brief time, God had left them to themselves. He'd abandoned them, or so it seemed. And yet the wonderful truth is that his anger lasts a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Uh, in loving kindness, Isaiah says that God has taken his people back and that relationship has been restored. Husband and wife are reunited again together. And how are we to understand this picture that Isaiah has for us? Well, one of the most powerful pictures the scriptures use, is, use to uh, help us to understand this relationship between God and his people is that of a, of a marriage, of uh, a marriage relationship. Um, in fact, you, it forms the basis, I guess, for one of the most, almost the most intensely intimate of all the books of the Bible, Song of, uh, Song of Songs. It's right at the heart. Uh, From the very, very start, Israel, God's people, were called into a a spiritual relationship as the the bride of God. They they were marked out by their faithfulness and their devotion to him. Uh, Israel was pledged unconditionally to God uh, and God to her. And sadly, the story of the Bible is that that wasn't how things turned out to be. God's people haven't been faithful to him, they've turned their back on him. They've uh, they've they've looked for for satisfaction, sought a relationship uh, with other things, with idols, with rival gods. Uh, and throughout the Old Testament, there's this picture of the prophets coming to God's people and saying to them, "Look, come back, come back to the God who made you, who called you uh, to be His own, to be in relationship with Him." We've seen that time and time again through uh, through Isaiah. And yet, in spite of God's people's infidelity, uh, in the giving of his son, the suffering servant, uh, for our forgiveness, the story of the Bible is that God has had compassion on his people, and he has restored the relationship. Uh, when St. Paul talks about marriage in, uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, he, he says these words, he explains it in these words, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. He's comparing uh, we, the people of God, God's people, uh, with a bride, and Christ as this ideal husband figure. And he says that Christ loved the church so much, he gave himself up for her uh, in order to sanctify her. He gave himself up on uh, her behalf. Uh, God, who has loved his bride from the very beginning, with all her imperfections, all the problems, all the the mess, has been faithful to his promise of old, that promise uh, that we heard earlier, verse 9, about Noah, a promise that uh, God made that he would never again uh, flood the earth in the way that he had done. That promise that he had to be faithful to his people, he has been faithful to that. Uh, And the relationship between God and his people is secure for all eternity. Sadly, I guess we're all too familiar, aren't we, with the idea that marriage is no longer uh, for life. 
and that divorce, even for pretty trivial reasons, is okay. Um, you might have uh, come across the reality TV star Kim uh, Kardashian. She got uh, married a few years ago, I think, wasn't that long ago, to uh, a guy called Chris Humphreys, who's an NBA basketballer in the States. Their marriage lasted all of 72 days. And do you know what the reason she gave for ending it was? Well, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. It's pretty trivial, isn't it? I bet you're all glad. I'm certainly glad that God doesn't say that. Sometimes things just don't work out. We tried it, it didn't work. I'll go and find somebody else. How grateful we should be that Jesus isn't like that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't just abandon us. doesn't walk out on us when things get difficult, when we're unfaithful, when times get tough. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. The scriptures promise and we sometimes sing. On the cross, he pledged himself to us forever. And his nail-pierced hands are open wide for us to come back to him. They're arms of welcome. It's a bit like a marriage service. I'm sure many of you will have been to a marriage service before. Maybe we can picture it in these terms. It's a bit like God is standing uh, in front of the couple. On one side, we've got Jesus. On the other side, there's us. Uh, The Father looks uh, from us in all our mess. He looks to Jesus. And he says... Jesus, will you take this sinner to have and to hold forever? His answer is, I do. And then he poses the question to us. He poses that question to all of us in our mess, the fact that we're not uh, in the situation that we would like ourselves to be. The question for us is, will we say, I do, back to him? That's the picture that God gives. It's a daring picture, isn't it? Something that almost we're perhaps not comfortable with. But that's the picture that Isaiah gives us here. And the invitation for all of us is to join the Lamb at the wedding feast. Uh, He promises that if we come to him, we ask him for forgiveness. He's never going to abandon us. He's not going to run out. It's not the case that sometimes things just don't work out. It's not the way it works with Jesus. He will never abandon us. His unfailing love will never be shaken, as Isaiah promises here. Perhaps there are, uh, you're sat there thinking that you could never be good enough for this relationship. Maybe you've come along this evening, you're not quite sure where you stand. Uh, and you just think, God would never want me. I'm in such a mess. And the truth is that he says, come. Uh, no matter what situation you've done, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever uh, you've done, he says, come. Because Jesus died for you and rose again to offer that chance of new life. Uh, perhaps for some of us, uh, we've been in relationships and we've been messed around. Uh, and we kind of think that that's how God is. That, you know, God is like that partner we had many years ago who just let us down. Because that's just what he's like. We've been let down before. Why shouldn't God be like that? I hear these words from Isaiah, this picture, the marriage that lasts. God says to us, look, I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I won't let you down. You come to me, you won't be disappointed. Uh, He's promised that he will never abandon us. So Easter, we remember that we have been bought with a price. He's conquered sin and death through the cross and through the resurrection. And he asks us all to come and say yes to him, say I do, to be part of that relationship as the people of God, his bride, and to be with him uh, forever at his uh, wedding supper. That's the second picture, the marriage 
that lasts. Finally, our third picture uh, this evening from this passage, which is the city that shines. Look with me from uh, verse 11, uh, if you will. Isaiah writes, So afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I'll make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord. Great will be your children's peace in righteousness you will be established. Uh, I wonder if you've ever watched the TV programme, Location, Location. It's not something I watch very often, but occasionally it's, it's on uh, Channel 4, whenever it is, or More 4 or E4, whatever it is nowadays. The basic idea of uh, Location, Location, or it seems to me anyway, from the, the limited uh, times I've watched it, is you've got a stressed-out city couple. They uh, live in some stressed-out city. They, they're living a fast-paced life in a small, small house, and they're looking to start a new life in the country. Uh, you've got this idea of sort of peaceful rural bliss where, you know, there's going to be paddocks and, uh, you know, uh, stables for little kids and so on. It's going to be nice and peaceful and duck ponds and all these kind of things. And they'll hear sheep, uh, sheep bleating and whatever. Uh, and they want Kirsty and Phil, the presenters, to find them a house. That's kind of what it works out. And the rest of the programme, you know, uh, explores the travails of finding that house that is going to make everything better. Uh, maybe you uh, don't need Kirsty and Phil to find your house, but I suspect there's quite a lot of people who've probably had some dream that's not too dissimilar from that. You know that idea that basically if you could just go away somewhere, somewhere peaceful, somewhere without everyone else, that life would just get that much bit better. Uh, maybe you can have a big house in the country with an arger and no one to bother you. Wouldn't that be perfect? <laughs> would be for some people, wouldn't it? And it's striking I think it's striking, that the final picture that we have here, this picture of the inheritance that awaits God's people because of the victory of the Lord Jesus, is not a picture of a big farmhouse in the Cotswolds with an arger, in a little country village, it's all picture perfect. It's actually a picture of a city. God's vision of paradise for his people is not some remote tropical island or uh, some little picture perfect village where we can just go away and get away from everyone else and just live on our own but it's a city. It's a community which is united uh, in Christ with him uh, in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Isn't that striking? I don't know what that says about uh, cities and uh, whether you should live in a city or a village, but we're obviously all right here, aren't we? But it's interesting. It's very, very different to what our vision, I think, of, uh, of bliss might look like. There are several things that stand out uh, for us from this uh, description that Isaiah gives of this heavenly city. Just a few things to uh, point out. Uh, It's going to be a city uh, which will shine with the glory of God's servant who's established it. Those uh, images in verse 11 and 12 of, of, uh, you know, precious stones, all imagery of of the glory of of God's servant, the Lord Jesus, uh, that, that is going to be reflected in the city. Uh, there's a picture of, uh, of, of the city being founded upon his righteousness because of his, his faithfulness, because of his work. Uh, this, this city will be founded on righteousness, verse uh, 14. Uh, it's going to be a community that's, uh, that's established on the word of God. Uh, again, verse, uh, verse 13, all your sons will be taught by the Lord. Uh, there's this idea of, of God's people listening to God's word and obeying it. There's going to be this, none of this straying away from what they, uh, what they should be doing. Uh, and as a result, they're going to enjoy living in his peace. 
Again, verse uh, 13. Uh, And above all these things, it will be a city that will be safe and secure. Uh, From verse 14 to 17, we get this uh, description, don't we, of uh, of how it's going to be a city where tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing left to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. Uh, If you've been following our series through Isaiah, uh, you'll know that one of the repeated themes from the prophet has been to God's people to put your trust in God. Turn away from whether it's you're trying to put your trust in politics or wealth or having a big army and come back and put your trust in God. Uh, And it's striking that uh, Isaiah shows them here that one day that will be the case. God's people will trust in him right at the very end of time when they're with him forever. Uh, and, And they can know that that trust is going to be vindicated. One day they can look forward to a time when they will see for all eternity that God will protect them and that uh, he will make them secure. His final home for them will be a place where nothing can harm them, and uh, that he will dwell with them and defend them. The shades of that picture, glorious picture from St. John, right at the very end of the Bible, in uh, his revelation of that heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, where God will uh, dwell with his people. Same, same imagery, same imagery. That's the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Uh, recently, Claire and I enjoyed a, a wonderful holiday skiing in France. It was great fun. Uh, we very much enjoyed it. Good sun, good, uh, good snow. It was all fun. But it, it may only have been France, but it was very striking that you were in a foreign country. Sounds, sounds stupid, doesn't it? On the surface, things kind of maybe seem, seem, uh, seem the same. But the, the longer you were there, the more you just realised that you're not at home here. Um, you know, we couldn't speak the language for a start. Um, there's different food, there's different currency, you drive on the wrong side of the road. There's lots of different things that make you aware that you're in a different country. Uh, we stood out. It was pretty obvious that we were English, we weren't French. Uh, you know, we couldn't speak the language and, uh, you know, uh, everyone uh, could realise that we were Anglais rather than Francais. And I think Isaiah's final picture reminds us that if we're followers of the Lord Jesus, if we're trusting this evening in his cross and his resurrection, then we should feel a bit like we were feeling on holiday. It should be pretty obvious that this world isn't our home. There are things going on that we shouldn't feel at home with. We should just feel that it's not how things are meant to be. Uh, We're citizens of heaven, as Paul put it in uh, his letter to the Philippians. We should be looking forward to a glorious future, where all that spoils this world will have been dealt with, will be renewed through the resurrection, through the new creation. Uh, We can look forward to living in perfect fellowship uh, with God as his people. This world isn't our home, and we should feel uncomfortable in it. There should be something about us which says, no, we we feel like foreigners, we feel like like exiles here. Uh, Isaiah calls God's people... Here to, to let their future transform their present. Uh, he says, look, you lift your eyes up to what God has promised for us uh, and to live in readiness for that day when we're going to be transformed into his likeness under his perfect rule. And I want to close by just thinking about what, what difference would it make to meditate more on where our true home is, where life is heading. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, I don't give much thought to where things are going, I'm afraid. Uh, this is not something that I, I think about. Occasionally it does if I ever have the, uh, the chance to take a funeral or something or, or something like that. Occasionally, 
something in me starts to think about where life is heading. But on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't. I, I, too often I feel like this world, is, this world is my home rather than the true world to come. I don't know, maybe it would think if we were meditating more on it, maybe it would mean less worry about getting what everyone else has, something I struggle with. You know, looking around and thinking, oh, I want that, that would make me happy. Realising those things won't satisfy, you can't take them with you. That's not where things are heading. Uh, maybe I'd spend more time thinking about the things that God values and spending time on those, you know, loving each other, uh, trying to, uh, to, to please God in all that I do, to love him more. Maybe I would take more comfort when life gets difficult, be challenged by that truth and comforted that as bad as this world gets, uh, nothing in this, in this world can compare to the glory that will be revealed in the future. Because of the cross and the resurrection, we can look forward to an eternity with God. Death has been defeated. It's been overcome. It is finished. Satan has been defeated. We can look forward to an eternity with God in his city, the shining city, and our future should transform our present. It's often said, isn't it, that a picture paints a thousand words. Uh, And I think here Isaiah's given us these three pictures, uh, each one of them speaking of a slightly different aspect of what uh, Easter should mean for uh, God's people. Uh, Through his death and resurrection, our Lord Jesus has made it possible for us to be part of God's worldwide family. He's made it possible for us to be in a relationship with him, a relationship that's going to last, that he accepts us no matter what we've done, one that will last for eternity. Uh, he's made it possible for us to have that future hope of dwelling with him in his, uh, his new heaven and new earth, new creation. Uh, so this Easter, let's praise him for his obedience. Let's sing, as Isaiah calls the people of God to do right at the very start. Let's praise God for the Lord Jesus, for his obedience to the Father, his love for us uh, in dying for us, in rising to new life, and meaning that all these things uh, can be true for us as they have been true for all of God's people throughout the ages. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, what a picture we've had this evening, these three pictures, all of them speaking to us in in different ways. Uh, But thank you that all of them have, uh, have truth and truth to, uh, for, for us to, uh, to grasp. And we pray that uh, this Easter we would indeed uh, praise you uh, for, for what, you've, uh, what you've achieved for us. Thank you that you do call us into being part of your family, whatever our situation, wherever we're from, part of your worldwide family. Thank you that you promise you'll never leave us. You offer us that relationship. Help us to respond rightly. And we pray for, uh, for us as we, we live our lives this week and in the future uh, that we would be thinking more and more about what it means to be uh, a citizen of heaven called to a world uh, which uh, one day will be our home, very different uh, to what we have at the moment. Uh, please help us, we pray, to reflect on these pictures, speak to us, uh, and to live our lives faithfully uh, to your praise. Amen.